0: All right, everybody's feeling good today. That is fantastic. <laughs> it's nice to see you all. Uh, we are going to get into John 13 today uh, with Jesus and the washing of the disciples' feet. We uh, we will start on page two of the handout, and uh, my goal is to get through it today so that we'll have a new one to next week. <laughs> We'll see what happens. We'll give it our best shot. Um, A good place to start would be Exodus 40. And you don't have to go here, but you could write it down at least. Um, It'd be Exodus 40, verses 30 through 32. Um, I don't know if you know this or remember this from past studies, but outside, the, outside of the, the temple, for people to walk by to get in, they would pass through these basins, these basins of water. And for example, the, English, or the, uh, the Lutheran Study Bible has some drawings of what the different tabernacles looked like. Like if it was the older one with the Tent of Meeting... There was a basin that sat outside. And then the newer temple had basins outside and people would have to pass through those. And there's so much with water, passing through water, as we know from the scriptures. In Exodus 40, starting at verse 30, it says... He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. So, there's a lot to all of this. Whenever God's people began a journey, a holy journey, they would pass through water. And so you get to John chapter 13, and you have the washing of the disciples' feet, and there's a lot going on there because we had just had all those things we kind of walked through a few weeks ago, where you had the Good Shepherd Discourse, And then you had the death of Lazarus and then the raising of Lazarus. And then that creates a spark and everybody's paying attention. And then you have the Palm Sunday procession. And as I said a couple weeks ago, the the death of Lazarus and then the raising of Lazarus is like the dynamite that has been the Gospel of John's been working up towards. And when that happens, the whole momentum of the Gospel of John shifts. And so we have been looking at being a servant and serving and loving our neighbor and, you know, what this looks like in terms of the holy life. And now we get to the washing of the disciples' feet. And if if you haven't been here the last couple weeks or the last week or so, we started off on page one with a few uh, very pertinent scripture verses. Matthew 8, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then Luke 22, the disciples argue about greatness. And then Jesus follows up and says, yet I am among you as one who serves. So, when we think about the holy life, it is one of service. It is uh, to reflect upon all that Jesus is. So you think about the cross, you think about the crucifix and the centrality of that for the Christian faith, and the nail marks, and the pierced side, and the blood flowing, and you think about That is an ironic picture for a God of victory. And yet, that is the ultimate picture and event of servanthood that he lays down his life for the world. And so everything then that pours out of the scriptures and the church is... To reflect and try to understand who we are in light of that. And so, John chapter 13, yeah, Leah. It makes me think about, you know, uh, Jesus' time on earth. And um, I'm certain that Jesus probably had a similar experience of as he's, you know, acting as a servant and helping others. Yeah. You know, you think about we, we don't have this God who doesn't understand us, you know, and that time on earth where he's serving us. He's probably doing the same type of lessons, and mm-hmm. how much fuller his experience of life probably was because of that, and then can understand yeah. us um, even when he's not physically here right now. It's true, yeah, yeah. Jesus, right? You know, uh, like uh, like the scriptures say, he was he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So he experienced the whole gamut of life and. You know of course he weeps right he you know when he sees that Lazarus is dead um, he weeps and so that's right that teaches us so many things on so many levels that Jesus is the servant of all servants and he really does know what we go through and you know he is merciful to us like I think I've probably told you this before, but in 2 Corinthians 12, when St. Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, the messenger of Satan that buffets him, and he asks the Lord three times to take it away, and Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so then Paul says, well, all the more will I rejoice in my hardships and sufferings for Christ and the way it says it in the Greek, Christ tabernacles over me. So in one's sufferings, Jesus comes and just comes down like his presence in the, you know, in the Holy of Holies and tabernacles over us and in the midst of us. And so that's the image that Paul provides. And so Jesus really is with us. He really does understand us. And in the scriptures we see as he goes along those dusty roads and he heals and forgives and brings life, Uh, he is experiencing, you know, life here. And that's all preparatory for John 13. So let's take a look at that. Let's read it. John 13 verses 1 to 17 For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And there's the text. So why does Jesus wash the feet of his disciples? Well, one is the meaning of the cross. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, which goes along with the first, is Jesus' voluntary service and humiliation. And so Jesus is the pattern for life. And there is a history of foot washing. So in Genesis 18, verse 4, so you could write these down. There's, there are really three texts for the history of foot washing. One is Genesis eighteen four. The second is Genesis 43, 24. And the third one is 1 Samuel twenty five forty one. And the first one is striking because this is the account of the three men who come to see Abraham. And it's, it's where the Lord, and it says, it starts off by saying, and the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So there's this general picture of it's what you do when you journey in the ancient world. You know, it's hard to walk that long and with the shoes or the sandals that you had, if you had shoes or sandals. Uh, So there's that practical aspect. But then when you look at Genesis 18, notice he refers to the three men as Lord, yet it's three men. So you wonder like, is this the Trinity? And in, in teaching, I think it is the Trinity coming to visit Abraham and He gives them some water. Now, notice he gives them water to wash their feet. Typically, the most menial servant would be the one to wash feet. Uh, It wouldn't even be a normal servant who would serve at the table. It would be usually a non-Jewish person that was a menial servant that would wash the feet of the guests, which is interesting. But there are not three, there's only one. What's that? When you said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three men. Three men. There's only one, there's only one God. You, is that what you mean? Like there's only one God, but there's three men? No. no? How can there be three men when there is only one God? Well, I, I, my thought is just persons of the Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And how that kind of shakes out. I'd rather think three angels. You would rather think three angels? Well, it's... Yeah, I mean, I had to look and see what Luther has to say. I thought he said that he thought they were the Holy Trinity. But, yeah, but I could check on that and see. But, you know, so, yeah. But good point, though. I mean... You know, in the Old Testament, you're dealing with shadows. And so, you know, what exactly is going on? Not really sure. But in uh, 1 Samuel 25, verse 41, you see the example, to wash the feet of their masters belong to the duty of slaves. But then, when we look on into this text... In verse four, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And so then this takes us back to John 10, 17, and 18. There's similar language in here. He lays aside his outer garments, takes a towel, ties it around his waist. And then John 10, Therefore, doth the Father love me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. So he lays aside his garments, he takes up the linen cloth. And the girding of the linen cloth around the waist, again, is, marks the action of a slave. And not even a Jewish servant would do this. So this move by Jesus is striking. I mean, you can just imagine, these guys would be beside themselves to see Jesus taking this posture and getting on his knees to wash their feet. But this does also carry the overall theme that I've talked about before, which is the hadas or the road or the way. It's um, Halakha language, the Halakha. And Psalm 1 is a great example of the Halakha. Because Psalm 1, which opens the book of Psalms, talks about the two roads or the two ways. So all this has happened in John's gospel. Jesus has brought Lazarus back to life. And now the whole world is up in arms, as one of the Jewish uh, authorities makes mention. You know, all the world has gone after him. Look, you've done, you can do nothing. And so now it turns to the passion of Jesus and they're in the upper room. And that's an important thing to remember about this, that they are in the upper room for the Last Supper. So in John's Gospel, we do not have an explicit Lord's Supper account, but instead we have this. We have the washing of the disciples' feet, which is unique to John's Gospel. And Psalm 1, if you want to just take a quick gander, it's a beautiful psalm. It lays out the beginning of the temple's prayer book. It's a short psalm. So here's your Greek word, hadas, for road or way. In all that he does, he prospers. So in just those first three verses, this is, verses 1 through 3 would be the the road of righteousness. The holy road. Then, starting in verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So now that's the wicked. So verses four and five would be the road of of wickedness. So two roads. And then the final verse, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish that's a summary verse to end the psalm. So, verse 6 says, "Hey, there are two roads. Which is your road? The way of the road of the righteous?" So in the Greek in the Septuagint, it would the way of righteousness and way of wickedness, this would be the word for way. And this I can't help but think, is leading us up to then John's gospel and the foot washing. Because in essence, what Jesus is doing is he's summing up all of the Old Testament in this action. He's saying, you're going to journey. You're going to walk. You are my disciples. You're here in the upper room with me. I'm giving you the Last Supper, right? The Lord's Supper. And you, are, you have been with me all this time from the beginning to the end. And now after my passion, your feet will have been sanctified and now you journey along this holy road that I have paved. Yes, Donna. <laughs> Yeah. The beginning was Jesus wanted uh, them He wanted the disciples to let him touch them because he said um, he was completely clean, just like in the Lord's Supper. Okay. That was his means to so letting them know. So through the touch He had power to, to cleanse them, to forgive them. Power to cleanse and forgive. To do their ministry. Right. Yeah. You know what? That could be because, you know, he is sanctifying them for the journey ahead, right, and blessing them. So he touches them, and Jesus often does that, right? He touches people when he heals them. So that's a possibility, yeah. Any other comments or questions while I've paused here? Okay, well, let's keep going. So then back to John... Verse 7 brings us to the mysterious nature of Jesus' action. What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. What do you think he means by that? I think it has to do with his passion. Like when Jesus dies on the cross and then when he raises himself up on the third day, then things start to click. Yes, the whole time that Jesus keeps on telling his disciples, this is going to happen. It's like they have a cloud, yeah, it can't be lifted. But then you see an axe like the cloud does lift after his passion, and it's like they know what to do. Yeah, the whole time, how are you developing disciples that Jesus wants them to? just remember Yeah yeah it is. It's like he is bookmarking this whole thing for them that they will understand in time. So very good. So then the importance of verse eight, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You know, would you, would you say that maybe there's an allusion to baptism here somehow? I mean, it comes, right? Baptism is established by Christ's death and resurrection. And then in Matthew 28, he says, go unto all nations, baptizing and teaching, right? So you do have that going on. There's a lot about water in the Bible, because every time, whenever they begin a journey in the Old Testament, they pass through water. It's always a new, even Elisha, when he takes over the mantle from Elijah, they cross over to the west side of the the Jordan River, and then he crosses it again to begin, to go back to the east. So like, they, they're already on, if my memory serves me, they were already on the east side. They go to the left, they go to the west side so that Elisha can pass through again and start. So there's something about water. And then you have this road and this way and this sense of journeying, and they're going to they're have this, this journey. Yes? And Carol and I were just talking about that, wondering. So, the road of righteousness, our feet are filthy. Our, as Pastor Ruder would say, we're all roadkill. We are smelly, dirty. Yep. Penis. Yep. So, you get your feet washed in the waters of baptism, which makes us clean. Yes. And therefore, then able to walk the road of righteousness. Yes. That is correct. Yep. It gives you the ability to walk the road of righteousness. It's it's the cleansing of the feet by which you walk. It's the journey. It's the journey of faith. Yeah. Um, I feel like my, one of my kids asked this question before. And so you're saying that it was, the foot washing is an allusion to baptism, like how he's preparing and sanctifying. Um, do we know if the disciples were baptized by Jesus? Because we know that he went baptizing. He went baptizing, he went baptizing, he went baptizing we know John the Baptist was baptized. We know Andrew was a former, you know, follower of John the Baptist. Yeah. We don't know for sure. Yeah, we don't know for sure if they were baptized by Jesus or exactly how that came out. But you know, we do know, like even in the Book of Acts, right, that. You know, they run into people that were Christians, but they hadn't been baptized, or they, right? They hadn't received the Christian baptism. So it was there, uh, but some maybe needed to be brought to it. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. But you know, it also connects to our, our space down in the church, too because as you all know, I'm sure, from the font to the altar, you have that tile that, that goes, you know, as you notice, right? As you have noticed, as the pastors have taught you, the tile underneath the pews are different tile than what's around the font and goes up and around the altar. And that tile from the font going up the middle aisle was from a Jerusalem quarry from a first century layer. So theoretically, it's possible that Jesus had walked on some of those pieces back in his day. And so the symbolism is so rich that we have a baptism and from that font forward, now they walk with Jesus. So it's all this foot stuff going on and this cleansing, yes. But Pastor, is a calling the same as baptism? A calling? Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by like a calling? Like Yeah, wait, well, it's because she said uh, the disciples they're not baptized. Well, we, we don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean certainly with the so with the disciples. The disciples who become the apostles. Apostle comes from this Greek word, which is apostello, which means to be sent. So an apostle is one who is sent out. And, you know, they differ from like Timothy and Titus were not apostles. They were pastors. And so that's why we call those uh, the pastoral epistles. Uh, Paul's pastoral epistles. So this apostolic sending does have a rich significance from the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, the prophets were called Shaliaks. And a Shaliak was an official uh, envoy or, uh, you know, uh, an official ambassador sent out to proclaim and so it had, a, it had a status to it, like if, if a Shaliak was sent to a king to give a decree from another king, the king who's hearing the decree hears not the Shaliak but the king's voice that sent the Shaliak. And so this, all of this kind of comes out then in the apostolic sending and then also then the, the pastoral office. So when the pastor announces absolution, he stands as a shaliac, one who... So when, that's why when we say, as a called and ordained servant of Christ, I, I forgive you, right? But the I is Jesus. So when you hear the absolution, you hear not... The pastor, but you're hearing it as Jesus is declaring to you that you are forgiven. So there's all that going on in the midst of that. Um, yeah. And it's, it's what it is to be a servant. To do the work of the Lord. All right, so let's turn to the, the next page. And you look at this verse six, Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher, for each one will be put in order by his teacher. And so that's us, right? So we are disciples of the Lord. And we are taught by Jesus how to live and how to confess. And so when you think about the foot washing, the foot washing consists in mutual humility they must also wash one another's feet. So go to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verse 10. And start here, let's see. Start at verse 9 just to get a little bit of context. So this is, chapter 5 is instructions for the church. So Paul is giving this to Timothy, which is for the church. And it says in verse nine, let a widow be enrolled, if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. So there you have washing the feet of the saints. So now, you see that it becomes a practice where they wash each other's feet. And now go to 1 Peter 2, and let's look at, let's see, specifically, you know, know, talk about like the difficulty in serving. So there's several things we can look at here in the time we have remaining If you look at boy, there's a lot here Um, start at verse 17 these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for speaking loud boasts of folly they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error they promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption so He's talking about teaching. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back here. I'm in 2nd Peter. Go to 1st Peter 2. Yeah, go to 1st Peter 2. Thank you. I was in 2nd Peter 2. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, we're in 1st we need to be in 1st Peter 2. Thank you. Uh, Starting at verse, uh, yeah, let's start at verse 18. Okay. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it You know that's a good text for, you know, it's it's not easy to be it's not easy to serve often. Um, it's easy to it's easier to serve people that are gracious, but it's hard to serve people that um, abuse you, uh, who are difficult. And so what Peter is encouraging the church, he's encouraging them to think about being a good witness even to people who maybe don't get it or they don't want to get it Um, you think about the context that he's writing in this is one of the general epistles or one of the catholic epistles so it's not written to a specific church but it's written for all the churches and they are out you know they're perhaps smaller churches out in the middle of a pagan culture and the pagan culture and the pagan people, and they have different ways, or maybe it's people, the Jewish people in those, in those areas. Um, How do you live in the midst of, of difficulty? Well, he's talking about how to serve and live in the midst of difficulty but notice what he does is he takes it back to Jesus and so that'd be my point for this is he's giving us the example of Christ that Jesus I mean think about the passion of Jesus he's he's going to pay for the sins of the whole world Even the people that are arresting him and beating him and treating him badly and, you know, hurling insults at him as he's hanging on the cross and, right, all that stuff going on, and yet Jesus is still merciful and loving. And that's not easy to do. that takes much prayer and asking the Lord to give us the strength to do it. Um, a few other passages to look at, I mean, there's so much here to look at, but if you go to Romans 15, 1-5, to you have the example of Christ in Romans 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So it's similar. You know, the foot washing is similar, right, to welcoming another. And so that, I think, is a powerful text. Uh, You have 1 Corinthians 10, 33 so let's take a look at that one and that's first corinthians not to be confused <laughs> with second corinthians uh first corinthians 10 33 and i guess you could back up to verse 31. so whether you eat so this is 1 corinthians ten thirty-one. so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the Church of God, just as I try to please every everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So again, it's just kind of this continual theme of, you know, don't don't look to yourself, but, It's to your neighbor. How can your neighbor be helped? And that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? I mean, that takes a lot of thinking and taking a step back because, I mean, we live lives where we have our own busyness going on, right? We have our own tasks ahead. We have the things that we need to get done. We have the things that we want to get done. And so it's natural to just be focused with tunnel vision on, I got to get this stuff done. And we live in such a busy society where we don't have a lot of extra time. And so to stop and you know maybe even be inconvenienced at times, Uh, to stop and say, it's okay because this is God's plan for me. Here's a detour in my day, or here's a detour in, in what needs to be done, and I'll have to put some other things on the side, but this is important. And so if you connect it all back together, that if you see that from before the eyes, God brings your neighbor who has needs, for you to help your neighbor, that neighbor needs help, but there's a blessing for you as well. And there's something you're supposed to learn, even in that, in the difficulty, in having to stop everything. And it shapes our joy, I think. It shapes the way we look at life. And so this this whole notion of servanthood, is is important and helps us to grow in the faith, and this is how we grow wise. So, any questions? Yeah. I was just going to say it's it's faith. To me, I think of faith and, and obedience, but it is the faith that gives us the desire to be obedient. Yeah. That takes us back to the gospel, which we receive in grace the of others. It's, it's like a- Yeah, it's like a circle, isn't it? It's like a continuum. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know if you heard what she said there, but um, you know this, this whole idea of faith leads to obedience, and it takes us back to the gospel and the scriptures and the Eucharist to be served and then we're strengthened and we're loved and we learn how to serve even through being served, right? And so Jesus is the one who serves us and it is through his love, his mercy, his tender care, his attention to us that then uh, strengthens us, encourages us, and then brings us all these other gifts that then help us than to be able to serve other people. It's gospel-centered, and that's the important thing. You know, it's, it's always Jesus at the front. So, all right, let's go ahead and, and stop there. There's a few more scripture passages you can look at uh, on your own, and we'll, we'll continue on with a new handout next week. Um, let's go ahead and close with prayer, with a collect for the week, and then the benediction. Almighty God, you show mercy to your people in all their troubles. Grant us always to recognize your goodness, give thanks for your compassion, and praise your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you.